the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. The debate about how we build a generation of green ships is ubiquitous and everybody wants in on it. The question of how we get rid of the current fleet, well, that's less popular. Whichever way you look at it, global recycling volumes are going to have to grow significantly, probably doubling by 2028 to around 14 million light displacement tonnes, or LDT to those in the know, and near quadrupling by 2033. That means more bigger recycling facilities set up to deal with more and bigger ships. Now, it may seem odd discussing this, given that ship recycling levels are at a 10-year low right now and unlikely to recover anytime soon. But, as we discussed a few weeks ago in this podcast, the concept of the circular economy is a long-term planning process where we need to build in sustainability to every stage of the shipping life cycle. So, it's exactly the time I think we should be talking about the impact of decarbonisation regulation and how it will be dealt with in terms of ship recycling. So with that in mind, I've drafted in an old friend, Anil Sharma. He's the president and chief executive of Global Marketing Systems, GMS to most of us, the world's largest buyer of ships and offshore assets for recycling, is how they build themselves. And Anil is someone who has spearheaded a number of key initiatives aimed at making ship recycling cleaner, greener and more sustainable over the years. I also think he's one of those people that has a very pragmatic business-based view on what this all means in reality. So I got him talking about the regulatory pressures coming down the line for recycling, the consequences of EEXI and CII and that raft of very costly acronyms that are headed everybody's way. We talked about the circular economy and how the industry can move towards a more collaborative approach to shipping life cycles. But first of all, we talked about what's not happening in the recycling yards. Why is it that nobody is scrapping right now? Well, I mean, in many ways, recycling was fantastic because we went from about, you know, bottom of, you know, 300, 350 and and COVID came, it was a mess, and then suddenly just was a very fast V-ship in a recovery, you know, on the back of steel prices. And we went, uh, almost doubled the, the scrap value in about, you know, in a, in a year or something, or slightly more than a year. So having touched 700 and, and 700 plus, which was, you know, only the second time in history, right? It happened prior to 2008. And mm-hmm. so the values just went, went through the roof. The interesting thing is, though, even though these values doubled, we just didn't see the influx of tonnage. Mm. You know, and that goes to say what I've been saying for the last thirty years: that what drives recycling is not as much as scrap prices, but is a, is the freight rates because the freight rates were also going. The containers were the first ones to recover, right? So we didn't mm. see any containers coming in. Bulkers followed quite, uh, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, and we didn't see much in bulkers. And the place that struggled the most was tankers for a while, especially the crude ones. But you know, it seems to me that the tanker owners have holding power. So even though they had negative earnings for a long time, I, when I was in Macedonia, I spoke with one tanker owner and I said, how did you manage this? He said, you know, we have, we have, been, we have three quarters or four quarters of negative earnings and you're hoping you get this short break where you can recover that. And you don't want to sell for scrap because you're hoping you get this one quarter where you can recover, 
you know, three quarters of uh, negative revenue. So, uh, you know, that's a different understanding. My point is, so there was no real push of tonnage. We had some tankers, we had few bulkers, but the supply was uh, very limited. Years. And we're now heading into monsoon season, which is traditionally the low point anyway. I think we've got recycling volumes at their lowest level in a decade, according to Lloyd's List Intelligence data. You may disagree with that, but it's certainly at a, at a pretty low level. What's going to be the tipping point that that adds a bit of oomph back into the market in terms of scrapping, do you think? I think the tipping point, again, is going to be the freight markets. Um, and I think, um, you know, if I read into the future, uh, um, the containers probably will be the first to come because they've been, you know, I can see the order book coming up, new ships coming in, being built. and uh, so I think that might, you know, tip the scales. But again, it's not going to be as much as as scrap prices. It has to be the freight market. Mm. Um, you guys have this nice intelligence where you can look at again, you know, where what's the you know the, the forward positions on tankers and bulkers. So if you use a logic that if I use a logic that uh, it started with containers went up and they had almost a two years of bull run. Bulkers almost two years of bull run, and so it's uh, is uh, tankers. But in tankers, we do have, you know, a lot of vessels in the subterfuge fleet. You know, the the, the ghost fleet, mm. and I think that's going to tip the balance. You know, first, but that depends again on, you know, how these sanctions rise because we don't see that sanctions coming to an end in the near term, and more and more vessels keep on getting sucked into this trade. And especially the Russian sanctions, sanctions is even different because there are some countries, once you take out Europe and, and North America, that have not sanctioned, and India being one of those, China being the other. And these guys are moving a lot of that oil, you know. Mm-hmm. And so would that be the move? It's hard to say, Richard. I mean, <laughs> it, but it has to be the freight market. It has to be the freight. It's always been freight, freight, and freight. Now, in terms of regulatory pressure, we've obviously got EEXI coming in. Um, the general assumption is you will see some scrapping off the back of that. But then, of course, we have the slightly more stringent CII, which is going to be a continuing force pushing out those older ships and requiring a, 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 a recycling capacity at a certain stage. Just looking a little bit further than the immediate dynamics in the market, how do you think regulatory pressure is going to play out. Do you, do you see any sort of timing crunches with these regulations coming in? Uh, actually, I, I share a contrary view, uh, Richard, on this. And uh, I don't think the EEXI and uh, CII is going to have that significant of an impact in recycling. And I'll tell you why, because now, let me take a, a step back. First of all, you know, we are talking about the circular, circular economy and decarbonization and so forth. And when we use where that had, the decarbonization had, logics then says, let's get the old ships out and let's bring in the more, you know, fuel efficient vessels in. But if you, if you keep on digging the same, the why, 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 keep going through the layers, then at some stage you'd ask your question, just keep on scrapping more vessels and building new, more newer vessels. Is that really impacting to the, uh, to the way we think it should impact? I don't think so. Because I do think that minimizing recycling is actually 
good for the uh, environment in the first place. Now the question is, wait, what about all this stuff that we have up through the through the soap smokestack? I think, and there is already some discussions going on, that the te- the technologies that help reduce uh, in a um, uh, what do you call uh, uh, not the consumption of of fuels, those will mm-hmm. start being explained. So in in way when you look at EEXI, you know, there's a lot of now work being done where they're trying to reduce the, the power of the engines, right? By as much as 15, 16%, that starts meeting some regulations, uh, you know, finding technologies that that uh, increase, or sorry, lower the consumption. You get a better. So all these, but then miles, I think it's probably going to drive a, a, an increase in technologies, which might make your mid-age vintage fleet extend its life and still be compliant with the decarbonization goals. I don't think that's going to have a significant impact. I mean, I remember the single hull versus double hull, and we felt, oh, suddenly all this thing is going to come in. Not not much happened. The ballast water treatment, oh, that's going to come in. Uh, The low sulfur fuels, again, a push. Regulation has not been... uh, that driving a force, and again, like I said, in real estate, it's location, location, location. It's and in our business, in the recycling businesses, freight, freight, and freight. As long as the freight market is good, there is always a strong incentive for the sellers to continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think, I mean, I would like to see more ships being recycled, but if you look at just the just the EXI CII aspect, that's not going to drive it. And if you step even further back and say, do you think it's good for the environment to have more ships, more mid-age, old-age, vintage assets running? I think it probably is. And I cannot, I've not seen any scientific studies, but I can make a layman's view on this. I mean, it might sound ironic to a listener thinking of GMS being a scrapper. I think when, when we think of scrapping, recycling, demolition, we think of those headlines and the images of what is ostensibly a dirty business. It is a controversial business. It is one that uh, you know has uh, you know caused controversy out outside of shipping for years. And yet, you are actually you know one of the people that has been talking about the circular economy since the circular economy became a concept. And uh, for those listeners who were tuning in a few weeks ago when we had a, a panel talking about the concept of the circular economy, we're talking about recycling, we're talking about bedding in um, the life cycle of vessels into the thinking of markets. Now, that is essentially your business and has been your business uh, for many years. Do you think that that circular economy concept is something that is now an idea that can be discussed in a more grown-up fashion within the industry? And do you think that it is going to benefit everybody if we can have a proper conversation about how ships are dealt with at the end of their life, but do so at the beginning of their life. I think so. And I think uh, some of it is already happening, uh, Richard, in, in many ways. Uh, first of all, the, the reason I like to talk about it, and, and thanks for saying this, uh, you know, I come to two reasons, I think. One is because I'm an outsider. You know, I'm not coming from a shipping family or a shipping background. I'm an academic. So... When I came into shipping, I didn't look at it as, ah, oh, this is how it's always being done. I just finished a call uh, and one of the guys was trying to explain to me 
how the tanker market operates. And I said, I really don't need to have an academic view of how this segment operates. Just tell me, Peter, this doesn't make sense. Why it makes sense? And that's all I care for, right? Not how it operates. So being an academic, I have a curiosity to dig deeper. I, I asked more deeper question of myself. What is it that we are trying to do? And so when we were the first, I, and I was lucky enough, I found this very first, it was called the second conference uh, in chip recycling almost 20 years ago, but it was in Rotterdam. And where this first debate happened, is this ship breaking versus ship recycling? And my view at that stage was, we are, you know, everything is recycled. Why, why are we not saying recycling? And fortunately, you know, recycling has become. So coming back, all this regulation, all this, I think what I'm most uh, appreciative is a lot of capital providers, ship owners, at least within the industry, have started realizing the significance of ship recycling, residual values, circular economy, trying to connect those dots. And the people like Musk putting the people in, HKC regulations, people working, working together, class societies and everything. So that work is happening. And, you know, there's always going to be a group of people who, who disagree. There are a group of people, you know, I don't know. I can't think of a better example who want to be a nudist. I mean, it doesn't mean the world has to go nude. I mean, there are people with different preferences. I mean, and, and what I find is what the good dialogue was, newspapers, including yours, Lloyd's List, you know, when they raised the, these things, the exposures that came through, through the NGOs and the media that created an awareness. You know, and you know what in academia we call ADA principle: awareness, interest, desire, action. So once the awareness came through that okay, this is something we need to do. And when I saw that, I asked myself, is this an industry I want to be in the rest of my life? And the answer was no. This is not the industry my children are going to be proud of. Proud of my grandchildren. Then how do we change? And fortunately, it's a very small industry, so we were able to start influencing people. And so I think the now what I'm talking about is the world at large because shipping itself has been working in, in a smaller group, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime you see the mainstream media covering shipping is almost always negative. I mean, evergreen, ever, what was that? Evergreens, ever given. Ever given, right? I mean, there is an everywhere. And that's where you see pollution or problems. And we are even worse in this area. So what we are trying to do is communicate. So when, so thanks for inviting. So any forum I get to say, let's have a dialogue. What we are not doing right, we need to change. And what we are doing right, the world needs to change. When you said this dirty and dangerous, very quickly, I'll, I'll stop that. I remember listening to Martin Stoford in, in Japan. And he said, I used to come to Japan. And that time, we used to call the three Ds of shipbuilding. You know, and these were... Shipbuilding was dirty, dangerous, and depressing. And I wrote that down. I said, you know, ship recycling, now that's the view. And, and his view was, oh, that was when I used to come and look at Japan now, you know. And I feel those of us who are in the industry and those when people go and see that, they realize that dirty, dangerous, and depressing probably is not the way it is. I mean, mm. people who are not seeing it probably look at it that way. But we find it just really, it's interesting. And again, as an example, I have a very good friend, a Turkish uh, uh, shipbuilder and ship repair uh, yard, and they were going to India on, on a very close on one of the yards was on sale there, shipbuilding yard. 
to buy and they stopped buying along. And a friend of mine called me and he said, I'm really shocked. This is like a ship building ship repair yard. It's not, forget comparing the Turkish yards. I didn't think at all. It, so it's really great when people like that come back and say, hey, this is what I saw. Mm. And objectively, the industry has cleaned up its act. It has changed over that period that you mentioned. And I think we often forget that. But we still don't have the Hong Kong Convention ratified in a way that is going to be useful yet. We are still many signatories off, although we are edging closer each year. Uh, we have the European Union ship recycling regulation that, you know, if you take their point of view, means that there are very limited options, frankly, right now, open to European ship owners to scrap in a responsible way as defined by the European Union. We're not quite there yet, are we? There are still fairly significant strides we need to make. What do you think needs to happen to get it to that next phase? I think the first and foremost is to really understand, for example, uh, you know, when you said, uh, I don't remember your exact words, but basically in, to re recycle European owners, owners to recycle a vessel in a responsible way, like EUSRR would expect you to do. Mm. But the question is, there are yards that the EU ship recycling, uh, EU has approved, let's put mm. it that way. Right. And so you say, all right, here is a yard that uh, EU has approved, and here is a yard that is HKC certified, whether it is, uh, you know, LR certified or, or class NK or whatever it is. Now, let's just go drill down line by line on how a ship is recycled. Mm. And I challenge you, Richard, when you start doing this kind of stuff, the delta between the two is going to be minimal, if anything. I would say that the certified yard probably has a better operating practice. And I'll tell you why. It's because A, they've scaled, they've been doing this. B, then the most important is they're on the spotlight. There, is, there are so much, uh, the, the class is looking at it. The owners who go to these yards, for example, we have this sustainable program. We have done more than 100 chips in this program. Mm -hmm. And every week we have to document with pictures exactly how the stuff has happened, you know, yeah. processes, plans. It's like it's a big book a owner gets to the end of it. You don't get this. You're not required to get this from a EU certified yard. It's been done here is because an owner says, you know what, even though I'm doing it in a sustainable way, I need a proof of that. I need documentation, not just from the yard, but I need an oversight from a third party to tell me it's been done. It's not happening anymore. So when you have this constant pressure to demonstrate effectiveness, you end up doing it better, and then it becomes a habit. And there we shall leave it for this week. My thanks to Anil for taking the time to talk to us. If you want to hear more, GMS don't just do recycling. They're also now in the growth business of podcasts. Their regular podcast series see interesting people from around the industry talking about interesting things. I can't imagine where they got that idea from. But it's a good listen and well worth a visit. Only, of course, after you've listened to Lloyd's List, though. We will be back next week with more. But thank you for listening and have a good week. Bye.